0: This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichiesi, and joining me back this week is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Can't believe week seven of the college football season is already in the books.
1: Yeah, I can't believe it. The the season is just flying by, and that's no pun intended, because to be very honest with you, I mean, we're seeing people's... Uh, players and stocks rising and falling as as each week passes. We see some really great constants. I think a lot of the players we thought were going to be great have been, but we also see the emergence or maybe the stock rising on several other players that we thought had a chance if everything cut their way in terms of the offense, the scheme, health, injuries, you name it. So as we kind of wind down the season and kind of come into that kind of home stretch, so to speak, it's nice to see or or maybe more confusing to see this draft pool get even deeper and more enigmatic for sure.
0: Absolutely you know, it's it's crazy to think seven weeks in the books already, six weeks of the NFL season in the book. Like, I do feel like we were just doing the positional preview shows in, you know, August and late July talking about this upcoming year. And like, before you blink, we're going to start seeing like invitations being sent out for like the all-star games. And before you know, it, we're really going to be talking about like what teams could be in the playoff mix. And then, you know, the whole pre-draft month, you know, which are so fun around here for us, you know, getting ready for the actual 2020 NFL Draft. I feel like it's going to be around the corner real quick. It's just crazy to think we're this far into the season already, Uh, but it's fun and there's a lot to talk about. So let's get right into it. The NFL Draft Report for week seven. I'm going to start right at the quarterback position, man. I had five names on my list. I'm going to run through the guys and then you take any which way you want to go with any of these guys that you want to talk about. At the top of the list, Justin Herbert. I feel like he's, not that he's going under the radar this year, but he kind of just feels like he's just taking care of business. Like in the background, I'm hearing that song like taking care of business going on because I feel like I thought Justin Herbert might've gotten nitpicked a little bit this year. Cause we see that sometimes when guys come back surprisingly for another year of college football, instead of declare and go into the NFL draft this week, 261 yards, two touchdowns, you know, easy victory for Oregon. So Herbert's just kind of taking care of business, like I said, doing what he needs to be doing, you know, and and I think checking the boxes he needs to do. On the flip side, a guy who continues to show development and progress is Dalen Hurts. This week Oklahoma victorious over Texas, Jalen Hurts 235 yards, three touchdowns, another rushing score as well continues to keep himself towards the top of the Heisman consideration, still showing that that growth and development. Listen, is there still areas of Jalen Hurts in terms of quarterback play that I have question marks for sure? Is he shown significant growth and improvement from his days at Alabama for sure there as well. I don't think this is a guy who we're talking about as a first or second or even third round pick, but I do think he's at least put himself in, on the radar to maybe be considered at least by the NFL teams and the way the NFL game is changing a little bit to potentially be a draft eligible quarterback and not maybe just an athlete and, and thinking big term positional switch. Jake Fromm, This week, really struggled. Georgia gets upset by South Carolina. He's 28 of 51, one touchdown, three interceptions. And to me, if you watch that game, I know one of those interceptions wasn't his fault, but I just thought Fromm played poorly basically from start to finish in that game. I've had some question marks about Jake Fromm, and you know, I I think he's solid. I think he's a game manager type. I, I said I thought maybe he was an early second round pick, but I could see him going in round one because I think the intangibles would be through the roof. But now I'm starting to wonder if he's even definitely going to declare. He's not had the year that I think, and we've talked about it at length, the decision to pick him basically over Justin Fields could bite Georgia in the behind. And this loss might take Georgia out of the playoff consideration in the national championship picture. And if so, I mean, I think it speaks volumes about them maybe making a mistake there because I don't think they lose this game if Justin Fields is the quarterback. Tua just took care of business, so not really much to say about Tua. I, his ability to, to make plays on the move and play off off structure, great touch is phenomenal. And then Joe Burrow, I feel like we're talking about him every week. 21 of 24, 293 three touchdowns, very impressive performance against Florida. I think he's squarely elevated himself into the top 50 consideration. So big name there, Matt, all, all, all really big names at the quarterback position. Any thoughts, any one or two of those guys you kind of want to elaborate on anything I said?
1: Well, I, I think it goes back to a couple of guys that, that you said that really rang out me is Joe Burrows and I think Jake Fromm. I think those are two interesting guys to really keep considering. I, I think to your point, I think Justin Herbert is pretty much kind of solidified where we think he's going to go and, and what he's done this season in terms of his traits, his tools, his intangibles, you name it. I I think Jake Fromm is going to end up being one of those players that I, I think a team is going to have to fall in love with. And, and I think that he is going to be rock solid for a team. I think there's nothing, you know, intriguing about his game. I think to your point, I think it would be interesting if he would reconsider coming back because maybe this is, you know, the type of season that he didn't want. Maybe he wants to end on more of a high note. Maybe he feels like, you know, this is where he can kind of elevate his game over the next year and, and really show for himself. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, listen, is there room for growth? Of course there's room for growth. There's always room for development. But I think in his case, I think the intriguing aspect of him coming back, um, may become more and more readily talked about as the season progresses. As far as Joe Burrows, Joe Burrows is declaring, I mean, you know, he's out like, that's it. Like, I mean, this is it. This is Joe Burrows. I mean, he's going to be there. And and could you ask for a swan song better than this for him? I mean, he pretty much went from arguably complete UDFA, maybe not even a camp invite to potentially top three rounds, easily top three rounds right now. In the NFL draft and people are going to be like, well, he's not a first round pick. You're right. He's not a first round pick, but I think he's worked his way into the third round for sure by now. And I think that's, that's pretty something that's going to be something that a lot of teams are going to take a long, hard look at in terms of where he is. So, I mean, I think these guys, I think the quarterback is, it continues to intrigue this year. I think Tua is clearly the headliner. I think it's, it's far and away Tua as the number one player in terms of the quarterback position um after that I think it's open season Paul and I think there's a world where it's Justin Herbert at two and then it's maybe Joe Burrows at number three and Jake Fromm at number four if Fromm comes out or it's where Jacob Eason is sneaking up in there I mean Kuhu, he's had pretty decent uh last couple of weeks so I'm, I'm just throwing out that idea that it could be more than meets the eye as we move forward into the rest of this year
0: yeah and as you were talking there, I just saw an article by a uh, friend of a friend of a podcast, someone who we've tried to have on and we hopefully could get a chance to have him on in the future, Eric Edlam, who writes for Yahoo Sports, great college football writer. He has an article out right now that says, could Joe Burrow surpass Tua Tagna first, And then says, question mark, for some teams he surely could. And it says that he texted three people in the NFL scouting Saturday night asking him just that. And he says he got the sense that the idea of some teams rating Burrow or Herbert over Tua isn't all that absurd. So just think about that. Like this is legitimate conversations being had At those levels already and a writer with the, with the, uh, the The, the respect and and the respect of Eric Edlam is putting this out there and that he's reaching out to contacts and people. And this is the response he's getting. So you just said top three. I hear that. And I think that, I think maybe we're, we might even be underselling it. Yeah.
1: Maybe we're out of our minds. Maybe it's
0: like already like, I think he might, I think he two? might already be now considered in that top 50 picks and he might even be pushing towards round one. If this is even being discussed in any real capacity like this. And I'm blown away by this. I, you know, I'm going to be. Keeping a close eye on, on, you know, Eric Edelman's timeline and writing to see if he has any follow ups as this year continues to progress. Obviously, it's only October 14th. You know, it's a long way away from the 2020 NFL draft, but I think it's just remarkable that this conversation is being had in any capacity yet. I think it speaks volumes of just how much improvement and growth Joe Barrow showed.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what? I was just about to chime in there because I just wonder, Paul, I'm going to ask you a really straight question because I know we have a, a really big laundry list of things to get through tonight. But, you know, I almost feel like two is wide receiver core is working against him now. Now his wide receiver core is working against him in terms of, well, he, he's really, he's good, but he's, but he's not that good because, you know, he's got Devonta Smith. He's got, you know, Henry Ruggs. He's got Jerry Judy. These guys are probably the best ever that he'll ever play with or any college quarterback can play with. And, and I think everybody is also dismissing just how good. You know, LSU's wide receivers are too. I mean, like Justin Jefferson is no joke, guys. He's six foot three, almost 200 pounds, and he can catch anything. Jamar Chase is borderline working his way as into a top 50 pick when he's ready to come out. So, I mean, like it's not exactly apples to apples, but I don't know if Tua should be indicted for the caliber of receivers that he's playing with as like a blemish on his overall skill. I don't know if that's fair because at some level, every player is working together with whoever they're playing on their team to score touchdowns, score points, and win games. I don't think anybody should be looking at who two is playing with and saying, well, that's just, he should, he's really not responsible for all of that. Well, I, I, well, but neither is Joe Burrow. Somebody still has to run the ball into the end zone. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know if that's really sound logic. I just don't really feel like that's completely sound logic. I Now, listen, going back to the tale of the tape, which was Daniel Jones, and me and you have talked on end how we learned tremendously as evaluators from that, and we took a lot away from that and being more aware of the caliber of players that players are playing with and really kind of working that into the overall problems that they're asked to solve and using that to be evidence or to suggest what they might be capable of the next level. I understand that, and, I, and I'm not saying we should dismiss any of that. But I don't know if we should just be totally now dismissing what two has accomplished at such a high level as he did. So I'm just throwing that out there before we move on.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, I do think the guys who've been there, the guys who've been in the spotlight the longest tend to get the most critique and nitpick, which is kind of why I was saying Justin Herbert has kind of avoided that this year. I think, too, has been so impressive for so long that in his regard, people might just be looking to find something to nitpick and we're nitpicking about, oh, his wide receivers are so talented. He's not as good as he is. And I think that's ridiculous. And like you said, Joe Burrow's wide receiver core is pretty special as well. So why don't we use that as the transition to the wide receiver position? And you, you mentioned Justin Jefferson. He was one of the few names I had But let's talk about him standalone for a while. Matt, I know you haven't done a full deep dive, I think, into Justin Jefferson yet. He's a guy that probably is going to have to be added sooner rather than later to the scouting notebook because of the year he's having. But in just watching some LSU and what you've seen of Justin Jefferson, is there one or two things about his game that, that you think are the areas where either we'll go with the problem solving route where where he solves problems the best, or if you want to go the areas where he wins most often, Mm -hmm. is there one or two things about his game that you think are most impressive in terms of him taking that with him and transitioning to the NFL at some point in the future?
1: I think the biggest thing for me, and we take that kind of, again, that problem solver lens, and we look at that versatility, that ability to handle those problems as they emerge on the field. And I think the most interesting place where I think he excels is that transitionary phase between becoming a catcher of the football As well as becoming a runner after the catch. I think it's really interesting to watch him at the top of his routes. And I think there's many different phases of that particular problem that we can look at. We can look at that problem through a kind of tight coverage lens. We can look at that problem through an open field kind of nearest defender within, you know, several yards, but not necessarily on top of him. We can look at that lens through just complete and utter. You know, wide open yards ahead of him to run, what he has to do with incoming problems from multiple defenders attacking him on different angles. And I think what you see from Justin Jefferson and and in all those problems is I think you see a very keen awareness, a very keen awareness, not only of the players around him as he is approaching the catch point, but even prior, even just after the catch, transitioning to a runner after the catch, his ability to solve those problems after the catch and his ability to do that seamlessly as he transitions from one phase of his route and catching the football to another. I don't think that that type of transitionary ability, that ability to transition so smoothly should be underrated because to do that, that means that there's almost a kind of um, anticipatory level of understanding that he possesses as a wide receiver that allows him to almost play Nostradamus in those situations and anticipate where players are coming from, what type of impact, what type of forces he may be experiencing at the catch point, how that's going to necessarily affect his own kinematics, his own dynamics, his own kinetics in that in that moment, how that's going to all impact him. He does a nice job of budgeting and valuing and do, dealing with that in such a way that I think it makes him a really hard player to get a good handle on. And and you know what? Um you know who he reminds me too at the catch point? And this is not because they're in every you know way, shape or form the same player. But he has a lot of Tyler Boyd in the way that he attacks the ball at the catch point. And what I mean by that is going back to your, I think your Robbie Anderson analogy um, of Devonta Smith, I don't know if Devonta Smith and Justin Jefferson are all that different. And I don't mean because they're the same player. I think Devonta Smith is probably a better athlete. Um, but the way they're playing the game, the way they have that quote unquote kind of lean build, but that kind of physicality at the catch point, but their ability to handle it at the catch point and transition to a runner after the catch. I think that, you know, Devonta Smith, Justin Jefferson, Robbie Anderson, Josh Doxon, Tyler Boyd, they all live in that same kind of arena together as players. And people say they're all very different and they are. Don't let me, don't let my oversimplification kind of dismiss that. I'm just saying to you is they have very similar styles of play within that transitionary phase between route runner and run after the catch ability as a runner.
0: Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think you're, I think your description there of Jefferson is spot on. And he's a guy who, I mean, he's, he probably has elevated his stock as much as any skill player since the season started, if we take out the quarterbacks and obviously the Joe Burrow discussion, he sits atop that list of probably guys who have increased their draft stock the most, but Justin Jefferson in terms of like wide receivers probably is, is the guy who's elevated his, you know, his stock the most since the college football season, uh, took, uh, Kicked off. A Couple other wide receivers. Let me run off, and and you can go with one or two. Any of them that that pique your interest. I wanted to bring up Lavisca Chenault because not that he had a big game, four catches, seventy yards, but I did want to bring up the fact that he hasn't had the statistical production, statistical season that I think many people expected. He's battled, I think, some issues. Health-wise, but he's been out there every single game, but it just hasn't been the production that I think people expected to see. And I think it brings up an interesting question. And I think sometimes the week-to-week pulse that and listen, we're we're as guilty as anybody. We we sit here and do a draft report every single week. But I don't think I think we try really hard not to let statistical production dramatically alter our thoughts on a player too far up and down. I think it's just one little point that we look at in the big picture. And I think that's the perfect thing about LaVisca Chenault. He might not have the statistical year that people were expecting but don't take that as he's draft stock is falling in the NFL eyes and the evaluators eyes, because I still think there's a lot about his game that is going to be really intriguing to NFL teams. And we've seen people not be great statistically in in college, make the transition, but there's going to be people, the market share people, the, the analytics people who, you know, talk about production and, and market share and, and, and stuff like that. And, Those he's not going to probably look very good in that regard this year at the the rate he's going, but I don't think it means he's not still going to be regarded very highly because the NFL more and more is learning how to utilize players in the role that best fits them. And I think Chenault is a guy who would, who the NFL teams would find a way and to take advantage of his skill set in a way that as he's still developing his entire receiving repertoire, he would still be a productive player. So I think he's an interesting name. CD Lamb was the talk of the week after 10 catches, 171 yards and three touchdowns. A lot of people out there saying, is he, you know, pushing Jerry Judy maybe to be wide receiver one now? I think this. Six or, six or so guys who really are going to be top 50 guys in the NFL teams might really have them rated in lots of different ways. I know me personally, C.D. Lamb was my number two guy behind Jerry Judy. I haven't changed that at all for, for what it's worth at the moment. Colin Johnson back on the field this week, six catches for 82 yards. You mentioned Devonta Smith before. He led Alabama this week, seven catches, 99 yards and one touchdown. And then Brian Edwards in that game against Georgia, six catches, 78 yards and a touchdown productive game against Big Time Competition there as well, Matt. Any thoughts on Chenault? What I talked about, C.D. Lamb and and his explosion this week, or anybody else there? No,
1: I, I think you. I think you made a great point, though, and I and I think I would highlight that skill is not about numbers on the football field. It's not about how many yards you produce. It's not about how many catches you have. Yes, there seems to be a correlation, but correlation is not causation, right? We all know that. So, I mean, what is skill? And I think that's where we come up against this kind of, this kind of wall that I think that hopefully we here, you know, are trying to, to kind of put a framework around. Skill isn't necessarily about the production you have in your stat line. Skill is all about what you're doing on the football field play in and play out. It's your ability to literally adapt to the unique circumstances of no matter what situation you're presented with. And the the players that can do that at a very high level, at a very consistent level, those are the players that we're looking for. Those are the players that we think are going to be the most productive in the NFL. So that being said, LaVisca Chenault handles a very, very large and wide array of problems for his team from being a receiver to being the wildcat back. I mean, he's doing things that other receivers aren't asked to do. And then you look at players like you know CD Lamb. CD Lamb for is playing in a you know in a an Oklahoma offense that yes has a lot of vertical vertical kind of stretching the field types of concepts in there, but they also have a very mobile quarterback who who makes his opportunities very limited at times. So I mean, if if we use production as a way of talking about players, we're going to find ourselves seesawing back and forth without really addressing the true question, which is what defines skill on the field. To me, it's the answer is it's their ability to adapt to any single play, no matter what that play is. That, to me, defines a skillful player. I don't care how tall you are. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how good your hands are. All those things together are what define and create skill as a play unfolds. And the players that we just mentioned are some of the best in this class, so if you want to tell me that Jerry Judy is not number one and CD Lamb is number two, I think this is one of those unique type of circumstances this year where you have a lot of adaptable players. I don't, I don't believe that personally. I still think Jerry Judy is the most skillful wide receiver in this class. I still believe Jalen Rieger is right up there and I still will pound the table for Brian Edwards. So, I mean, yes, CD Lamb is my number four. That's how I see it, but that's how Paul sees it. And you guys can see it differently too. That's what makes this so much fun. There's no rules. There's just awesome discussion and awesome, awesome analysis. But I think the only thing I'll lay on before we leave is make sure we're asking the right questions about what we're looking for. Make sure you're answering questions that are truly the right questions. You're looking for skillful players. You're not looking for production.
0: Yeah, I think you're spot on and that's why I wanted to bring it up with LaVisca Chenault because, you know, listen, there's been times that we've pushed back, you know, in the community a little bit. And I mean, obviously, you know, we've had our misses, but one of our biggest hits was the push that we made for Alvin Kamara and his lack of production didn't didn't deter us from being such big fans of him and what we thought he could do because of his skill level. And I think he's, he's the absolute best case scenario, you know, in terms of that. Uh, But I do think, you know, sometimes there are some people who look too closely at the statistical. And I think your idea and your con and what you said before about, you know, correlation doesn't mean causation. And I think, and I think that's spot on uh, when it comes to this conversation. In, and, and just before we get yeah. out of here, this is not
1: to dismiss all the analytics community anyway. We are big fans of it. As math teachers ourselves, we subscribe to analytics on a big high level. We just think that it needs to be part of a more encompassing whole, a whole that is rooted in good questions about what it is we're trying to understand about the player on the field, as opposed to just what their stats are.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. I, I mean, listen, I think, I think the analytics and all that stuff is, is fantastic, but it can't be, it can't put somebody in a category that, you know, immediately scratches them off a list or something because of that production. And hey, I know you, you missed. You
1: can't reduce it down to, you can't reduce it down to a number without context.
0: Absolutely. And I know you missed last week's episode, but I started it with a whole conversation on Jordan Love. And while that game didn't look pretty, I don't think the NFL people are going to really knock him too much for it. No. And I don't think the draft Twitter community should knock him forward. And I compared it to Daniel Jones against Clemson the year before and how bad he looked in that game. And And I said, while we weren't huge fans of Daniel Jones, we thought second round, not top 10. We didn't knock him because of that Clemson game because no. we understood the, the disadvantages that he was at in that game. So I no. think you got to look at the whole context.
1: No, I mean, if you're playing with a wide receiver that you have absolutely no clue what type of production you're going to get get out of him from play to play, how can you even begin to sensitize yourself and to prepare yourself to throw the football in any meaningful way? Because he's a complete and utter, like, you know, uh, he's a complete and utter roll of the dice on every play. That's very hard to play with players like that. So anytime you got somebody that's that unpredictable, how can you even begin to solve that problem?
0: Absolutely. Only one name I have at the tight end position and I and I want to mention him again because I do think it's great when a guy that we've been talking about and following his career trajectory finally starts to have that breakout year. This tight end class, I think is very up for grabs in terms of who climbs the ladder to the top of the tight end. uh, You know, thing last year it was clear that it was fan. And by the middle of the year, we knew Hawkinson was in the mix and then Irv Smith. This year, it's much more uncertain, the tight end position. And Cole Komet is, is really starting to evolve into a guy that we need to really talk about uh, in, in a serious light. So six catches, 61 yards and a touchdown. Really impressive there. Uh, And then at the running back position, I only have three names I want to mention. Eno Benjamin, I think he's been going under the radar a little bit. Still reminds me every time I watch him play of Kareem Hunt. So 137 yards and one touchdown. His contact fidelity, his ability to absorb and deliver punishment. Uh, I love Eno Benjamin's game. Zach Moss returned from injury this week. Only had five carries, but 121 yards and two touchdowns. Impressive and nice to see him back from injury. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU, 13 carries, 134 yards and two touchdowns. Any thoughts on those Matt?
1: Not not many because I think a lot of those names speak for themselves. I am glad to see Zach Moss back. That's really big. I'm I'm happy for him. Hate to see him see injury again. I think Clark, you know, Clyde Edwards-Heller uh, is uh, is a player that I've liked since spring game of last year. I'm glad to see that he's starting to make kind of a, a kind of a charge and a little bit of a meteoric rise to his own kind of status in the NFL draft. And and I think you really pointed to. It. I think you know Benjamin, let's not forget about him. Um he's not exactly um, a player that we should be forgetting about, and I love, I love the the whole the whole idea that you see a little cream and cream hu- hunt in him. I I could definitely see that as well. So yeah, no, no, no I think I think they're all outstanding. And, and Cole Komet, I mean Cole Komet is as a player that you know on this very podcast, you know, this was something that we really we were talked about him being a Notre Dame guy that we you know really should be aware of. You know, his time was coming. Alize Mac was was on his way out. His at least his role was diminishing. And Cole is a player that I think offers that true, you know, kind of versatile kind of, um, tight end that we want as a blocker and a receiver he's not explosive guys i mean he's not like explosive i say that he's not an outstanding uh player that's going to create separation through his routes but he is a player that is very efficient he's also somebody you don't sleep on he's like a you know i i don't want to equate it to him because i think he's a better athlete than him but very much like we were all commenting on how will disley how could this happen how is will disley doing all this stuff you know um, he's not that great of an athlete. Will Disley is a better athlete, first of all, than people give him credit for. But Cole Komet is that type of guy, that guy that that quiet storm on the field. You know, He's going to run a crisp route. He's going to find the, the seams in the zone. He's going to make good catches with his hands. He's going to transition quickly to becoming a runner after the catch. So if you fall asleep on him, he's automatically making that catch and he's turning it upfield. So if you saw Will Disley catch the football this year in the way he played, you know, I think Cole Komet is that Will Disley 2.0, where I think he's going to take it to another level. But I don't know if we're talking about Travis Kelsey, because I've I've heard those types of things too. I don't know if we're talking about Travis Kelsey here. I don't I don't see that type of player, but I do see a player who's a productive kind of dual purpose tight end, that combo tight end that we're looking for.
0: Yeah. And, and there's not a lot of them, you know? So yeah. the fact that he could be that guy could really elevate his draft stock. So Matt, let's take this to the Debbie slant where we talk about some of the top underclassmen, uh, things that stood or popped out this week for us. So what do you, what do you have in the Debbie slant? I have a couple names here, but let me see if uh, you bring them up before I mention them.
1: Well, there's, there's a couple of guys that I just briefly wanted to go through. So we're going to start first of all, obviously I think Jamar Chase continues to be the guy, you know, when it comes to LSU, the sophomore six foot one, 200 pounds, against Florida this past week, he had seven receptions for 127 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, he just continues to win in every way you're looking for downfield. He, he's very rare in that almost James Washington, Oklahoma state type way. Like there isn't a vertical pass or vertical passing game where he doesn't excel, but also it's what he does after the catch that I think is interesting too. He's very good after the catch. He has a little bit more after the catch than let's say uh, James Washington did. And I like how that really does promise for a very productive future for him. So Jamar Chase, if you haven't gotten a chance to get him already or if he's in there available in this offcoming season. You want to make sure you get a good Debbie pick to go and pick him up because he's going to likely be one of the guys that's going to be highly sought after. Another player to be on your radar and it's time to stop ignoring him. The sophomore Kyle Pitts, six foot six, 239 pounds from Florida. I mean, he had five receptions for 108 yards versus LSU. And this goes back to back now where last week against Auburn, he had eight receptions for 65 yards. And then even before that against Townsend, he had two touchdowns, two receiving touchdowns. And then he opened the year in Tennessee, or actually his second game of the year in Tennessee with a touchdown. He just continues to find seams, continues to be that move tight end that Florida keeps leaning on more and more now in games. I think you should really pay attention to Kyle Pitts. He's a guy to really pay attention to in your Devi League if you're looking for some tight end help on your particular team. Another player to keep on your radar or another player to keep watching, a guy who's holding serve, in my opinion, Amon Ross St. Brown, just continues to be, I think, one of the best receivers in the country. And I did say that, yes, one of the best receivers in the country, regardless of class. I think if you were in this class right now, he would probably sit somewhere in the realm of mm, that Tylen Wallace you know, T Higgins world. If you're in that world, you're talking somewhere between, you know, wide receiver seven through 10, somewhere in there right now. And, um, that would be as a sophomore guys. And I mean, he's six foot 195 pounds. And what he does so well, Paul is he's not only wins in the same way Jamar chase does in that kind of, you know, um, in those kind of tight covered situations, not only does he do that very well, but he's an extremely, extremely good route runner, extremely good route runner. And I think we're talking about Amran Ross St. Brown being one of those guys that easily could have pushed his way into this class top 10. So, I mean, it's not hyperbole. Last week against Notre Dame or this past week against Notre Dame, he had eight receptions for 112 yards. Mind you guys, he's doing that with the second string or at times even against the third string quarterback on his respective team. He's not playing with, uh, he's not playing with JT Daniels right now. Another player to keep on your radar as well. Is Jaden Daniels the quarterback? The freshman, six foot three, one hundred seventy-five pounds, out of Arizona State. He was a guy that we had in the we had inside the um, Saturday or Sunday freshman notebook. He was one of our top four or five quarterbacks that we profiled, and he's just been having a, a really quietly good year. I mean, he had twenty-six for thirty-six against Washington State for seventy-two percent completion percentages, three hundred and sixty-three yards, and three touchdowns. He just keeps getting better and better and better. And he's a very interesting quarterback prospect to keep on your radar as we move forward. A uh, couple other names. The biggest one of all, a player that we silently have been loving all offseason. The true freshman. We've been waiting for him um, to break out Brees Hall. Brees Hall has been breaking out. He broke out against West Virginia. He had 26 carries for 132 yards, three touchdowns. And he also chammed in for a reception for five yards. We've been waiting, waiting for him to get that opportunity. Brees Hall offers that rare combination of being both a good receiver as well as a good running back, both interior and on outside runs. He's an extremely, extremely skillful player. I really, really like him. And Paul, two names that, that are in our freshman notebook from this past year, Micah Pittman, Michael Pittman continues to be a little under the radar. He is the Oregon Ducks right now slot receiver. I believe he's getting some reps there. He had three receptions for 57 yards. Keep him on your radar, five foot 11, 198. And another guy that you should keep on your radar that we liked here as well, Puka Nakua, who also against Arizona had three receptions for 97 yards for Washington. Nakua is a very, very interesting slot player. Again, he's six foot one, 204 pounds. Keep him on your radar and rounding it out, Paul, calling it a day. You can't deny that George Pickens continues to show well as a freshman, Six 6'3", 190 pounds. The Georgia true freshman had seven receptions for 98 yards in that loss against South Carolina. He is a player that his people are screaming A.J. Green. I, mean, I think we should slow down there. I don't see A.J. Green necessarily, but I mean, the, the idea here is being that he is already showing on a big stage. And that's no easy feat considering his transition from high school to the elite level of college football against other teams. Other teams that they're playing at in Georgia. So I'm George Pickens is a guy that if I were in a Debbie league as well, he's a guy that I'm sneaking in there for. So Jamar Chase to round it out, Jamar Chase, Brees Hall, George Pickens, Jaden Daniels, uh, Nakua, Puka Nakua, as well as Micah Pittman. Those are guys just to keep on your radar as well as Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm sure somebody already owns him, but those guys are interesting to keep tabs on. And if you can get those guys in the off season, try and do it. Hopefully there's big things ahead of them. In the future.
0: Yeah. Great names there. You hit on. Every single guy I had on my list, but two, so I'll, I'll kind of add to them there, but it is amazing how many great underclassmen uh, there are to really talk about each and every single week. So many guys that we've been following since you put out, you know, freshman notebook descriptions on these guys. It, it's just remarkable to see them showing that growth and development that we expect to see. Uh, I'll add that to the list. Freshman running back at Penn State, Noah Kane, he had 102 yeah. yards and one touchdown this week. I mean, the the dynamic duo of him and Devin Ford are going to be fun to kind of follow those two. Two guys there uh, at Penn State moving forward, and then uh, we talked a lot about last time we were on together the Alabama wide receivers. And you know, every week we're we're talking about you know Henry Ruggs or Tua. I mean, and Tua you know thrown to Henry Ruggs deep or Jerry Judy or Devonta Smith. And then there's Jalen Waddle. And like you fast forward, you know, to next season, and if Smith, Judy, and Ruggs all go pro, like we expect them. Jalen Waddle is going to be the lead. I mean, listen, Alabama will have more guys to replace the guys they lose for sure, but Jalen Waddle is going to, you know, right now he's probably not even getting the attention he truly deserves to get because he's a part of that four man dynamic wide receiver group that, you know, come next year, Jalen Waddle is going to be potentially the guy at the top of that pecking order, the top of that depth chart. This week he had, you know, a, a fantastic touchdown showing his skill. Uh, he only had three catches. 48 yards and one touchdown, but going back to you're not going to see this top level production this year. But that doesn't mean Jalen Waddle well, shouldn't be near the top of your Devi underclassman wide receiver rankings. And it's not what they did, it's how they did it. And go and watch how he does it. And you can't help but
1: leave impressed. So I'll I'll leave it there, Paul. And just one player I wanted to bring up because I didn't get a chance to mention him earlier in the draft report. But I wanted to just kind of round back for one second because I had him in my phone. I wanted to mention him, and he's he's definitely a favorite here at the Saturday and Sunday Football Podcast. Des Fitzpatrick is continuing up. Big numbers. Big numbers. He just had five receptions for 125 yards and two touchdowns. Big numbers. Do not fall asleep on Des Fitzpatrick. He's a guy that right now is probably going day three just because people don't equate Louisville with this dynamic passing game, but just listen to his last three games. Five for 125 and two touchdowns. Five for 108 and a touchdown. Seven for 133 and a touchdown. Those are three pretty significant games in a row. I'm telling you, he's a more skillful wide receiver than we're giving him credit for. Just like we thought Auden Tate was a little bit more skillful than people were giving him credit for. And I'm just throwing it out there. These are not guys that I think are going to blow up the combine. Don't diminish what they can do on the field when the snap of the football happens. Cause that's when it counts. So yes. I like
0: this with Patrick. I mean, and and Patrick. It, you know, it's, intriguing obviously there's more time to talk about this in the future. But one team, one team in particular, you know, there's a couple teams, you know, the Patriots, the Seahawks, but the Ravens are a team that move around on draft night more than as much as almost anybody besides the Seahawks, maybe, and the Patriots. And they always tend to accumulate a lot of day redraft picks as they move around up, down the board, you know, stuff like that. It would be kind of intriguing as a date repick to see them invest in Des Fitzpatrick. There's some natural chemistry already there between him and Lamar yeah, Jackson. He point. would kind of, he would potentially, you know big slot, himself. just a big slot. Exactly. Which is the one thing right now that they're kind of missing. They got Marquise Brown, they got Miles Boykin, they got Mark Andrews. They could kind of go, You know, they don't need to invest high probably in a wide receiver based on their offense. So I don't think they'd be in, in the market for a, a top 100 pick or anything like that. After getting Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin there last year, probably not going to go out and spend money in free agency. So if they get someone, it probably would be an under the radar for three type pick. How about a guy who already has chemistry with your quarterback in the future and quarterback in the present right now in Lamar Jackson? I think he'd be a very nice, versatile piece inside, outside, but play that big slot position there in that offense and already have chemistry with the quarterback. So we'll cycle back on that. If that happens, you know, months and months from down the line now, don't worry. We'll mention it. No, calling our shot.
1: No, and we didn't, and we didn't, and we didn't even mention Courtney Davis. So, I mean, like there's, there's just so many players, but I mean, like we didn't even mention Courtney Davis and how great he's been playing as well. So not to, not to totally wreak havoc and, you know, lay a flame to this podcast because we keep bouncing back and forth, but, but those were just two names that we had to just get out there. Des Fitzpatrick and Courtney Davis were two guys that were just burning up my phone. And uh, I'm glad we got a chance to mention them. So Paul, take us to the draft report. Take us now to the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take it there.
0: Let's go to the tail of the tape, real quick. Preview. We'll round out this podcast with the tail of the tape, and then a quick NFL rookie report. So, tail of the tape, week eight preview in the college football. Not a lot of things that really stood out. I'm, I'm keep my eyes on Florida, South Carolina. How does Florida bounce back after their loss this week? How does South Carolina respond after their big win this week? You know, keep an eye on Brian Edwards. See who's playing quarterback for the Gators this week. Is it Kyle Trask? So we'll be watching that one closely. Oregon versus Washington. The ballot of quarterbacks is going to be fun. Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason. This would be a huge, uh, opportunity for Jacob Eason to really gain some national attention. If he could play well against Oregon and he could play a really productive game there. And obviously we've been talking about Herbert, just checking off boxes, doing what he needs to do. Uh, Arizona state versus Utah. I'll be, uh, Watching that closely for the running backs, Eno Benjamin and Zach Moss, the two running backs. I already mentioned them in the NFL draft report, but it's gonna be fun to watch those guys go at it. I'm assuming Zach Moss will be very much back into the mix in a heavy workload this week after only getting five carries last week. And then Michigan Penn State. Obviously, we talked about the young Penn State running backs. We'll be watching them. And then the Michigan wide receivers seem to be always what we're focusing in on there with Donovan Peoples Jones, Tariq Black, Nico Collins, and that group there as well. Matt anything real quick on any of those games or uh, another game that maybe I missed?
1: No, no. I I think that you pretty much hit on all the high games, but definitely Michigan is definitely going to be one of those games that I'm watching, especially against Penn State. And I'm looking to see how that dynamic young combo of Noah Kane and Devin Ford begin to kind of wheel themselves out and see what's going on there. So I'm excited to watch that game big time.
0: Absolutely. So let's go to the NFL draft report for week six, as we take a look at the, the rookies in the NFL and see how they're transitioning from Saturday to Sunday. At the quarterback position, Kyler Murray played his best performance as an NFL pro, 340 yards, three touchdowns. The Atlanta defense did not put up much of a defense for him. But I, what I like to see about it was Murray was starting to take more of shots intermediate and vertical down the field. I think that's important to show uh, he can do that. They showed it early in the year. And then recently uh it's been all short stuff. So it was nice to see Murray start pushing the ball down the field. I love his ability to just buy time in the pocket, keep those eyes downfield and make a play with his arm and only take off when needed. They are have started to add some more design runs. So you're getting the whole package in terms of fantasy. So I think he's going to be a guy that's every single week, he's going to be a, a QB one consideration and just work his way up in terms of deb, uh, dynasty uh, rankings. He's probably quickly going to be a top five or top six dynasty quarterback asset if he's not even there already because of his tremendous upside. Gardner Minshew, who I talked about last week as a guy that we had forgot to bring up a couple of times because I think sometimes he gets lost in the shuffle, but he is a rookie. He a little bit of, uh, back to, uh, you know, take a few steps back this week, 14 of 29, 163 yards and one interception. So it'd be interesting to see how he rebounds and responds to this poor performance at the running back position. Darrell Henderson finally got an opportunity with Todd Gurley out. He got six carries 39 yards. The Rams offense as a whole really struggled this week, but Henderson showed that burst and acceleration, that I think make him a really intriguing player. Not a guy who's going to, not as a guy who's got that stop and change, you know, agility and, you know, cutting ability, But that one cut and go, that Dalvin Cook type acceleration and burst, I think that's what Darrell Henderson offers. So it'd be interesting to see how he looked this week if that gets him and garners him some more touches in that backfield. Alexander Madison continues to be probably the number one running back handcuff in redraft leagues, but I think he's an intriguing dynasty guy to get on your roster too. Dalvin Cook's had some injuries stuff in the past, but he could be a guy that is a guy that could be a league winner if You know, Dalvin Cook ever goes down, Alexander Madison behind that Minnesota offensive line in their run game, really looking good in that regards. Uh, So that's something to follow closely. Miles Sanders struggling as a runner, especially with his vision and, and decision making, but really showing impressive in terms of pass receiving three catches, 86 yards and one touchdown. At the wide receiver position, not a lot to talk about. Nikhil Harry sounds like he's on the way back from injury. So we'll be following his uh, introduction to the NFL closely and see how he transitions. A crowded uh, wide receiver group right there in New England with Philip Dorsett and Julian Edelman and Josh Gordon. But we'll see if Nikhil Harry can make some noise. Terry McLaurin, a guy Matt and I both loved in the pre draft process, continues to shine. Four catches, 100 yards, and two touchdowns this week. Stock up on Terry McLaurin. Darius Slayton, I like what I see a little bit out of Darius Slayton for the Giants only have three catches for 32 yards, but I think he's got a chance there to be a big part of the Giants future as a field stretching vertical threat from the wide receiver position. And then the tight ends pretty much status quo there continue to harp on using it as an opportunity to buy low on guys like Irv Smith and Noah Fant. Uh, if if their owners are getting a little impatient and, and looking for some more immediate production Buy Irv Smith, if I can afford him anywhere.
1: I'm gonna tell you this right now and Paul Paul say blasphemy. Blasphemy. I would trade a third round rookie pick for him in a deep rookie class for him. I would do it. I'd trade a 2020 third round pick for him. I would do it. You yeah, know why? It, I, I think I think, I think it's I think it's I think it's gonna happen. I think he's gonna end up being a huge receiver for that team.
0: Yeah, because they don't have that third guy. So I think a guy can easily emerge there and be an integral part of that offense with Stefan Diggs. With Adam Thielen, who knows if Stefan Dix is there for the long haul? Been a lot, you know, a lot of uh, drama going on there. Obviously he had a breakout performance this week, but Urs be a guy who could be very much in the mix there. And as soon as next year, I wouldn't be stunned to see him putting up you know, tight end one production. So yeah. use this buy window on him is now.
1: Yeah. And, and also just keep throwing out there just because I, I still think as great as Darren Waller is, I think Foster Moreau is a solid, 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 uh, tight end prospect to pay attention to. I think he's very interesting. I think the Deonta the Deontay Johnson buy low window is here, um, because it doesn't look like right now they're going to have, you know, uh, quarterback play that's going to be competent enough to make him a valuable receiver. But I don't know if they're really going anywhere different next year. So I think Deontay Johnson is pretty much in there as a number one through three wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So if you feel good about that situation moving forward, um, I would invest in there as well. And the last player that I'm, I've been kind of eyeing and and kind of like, you know, teeter tottering back and forth. Paul mentioned him earlier, Darius Slayton. I don't know what Daniel Jones is going to bring to the table in his totality, but I think that deep ball and what Darius Slayton brings is very reminiscent of that probably early 2000s, 2007 type of Eli Manning offense where you had, you know, Sterling Shepard could be that guy working underneath, like, you know, um, and you could have Darius Slayton over the top being that competent deep threat. So Golden Tate and Shepard underneath, and then you could have that Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton combo on the outside with Saquon Barkley being that all purpose back. I mean, you can be looking at a very dynamic offense moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So guys take this opportunity by low on some of these guys uh if you're if you're fans of their game so there it is guys the nfl rookie report for week six in addition we covered the nfl draft report for week seven we looked at the tail of the tape preview in week eight and the devi slant where we took a look at some of the top underclassmen in the country if you're enjoying what matt and i are bringing to the table please rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast please get over to saturday sunday uh, website ssfootball.com it's the quickest way to get there click on the premium content tab and check out the notebooks that we offer guys, the premium notebooks for $9.99. You get access to all four notebooks. You immediately get access to the 2020 scouting notebook. It has player profiles and like 75 guys already. We'll add to it. We'll edit it. We'll update it. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our different rankings, draft eligible, dynasty rookie rankings, Debbie rankings, freshman rankings. We'll have tiers and then new dynasty rookie rankings after the 2020. And then you also got in late March through mid-April, the freshman notebook and the draft projections notebook. You get all four for $9.99. It is the best way to help support the show and help us continue to do what we're doing. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.